It's good to be back in <clears throat> Columbia Falls. Uh, I was noting in my files, this is my 14th time here at First Baptist Church since 1985. Our first visit, uh, we were on our way back. Our girls were 10 years old, you may remember that. And we were on our way back from ministry in Alaska. We were there for nine weeks. And uh, so we stopped here on the way home and met Pastor Buchanan. And we've just had a wonderful relationship over the years ever since that time. <clears throat> and always look forward to coming back. And uh, I'm sorry that Pastor Ernsberger's not here. I was looking forward to seeing him. Last time I saw him was a year ago in, in January when he was on the same trip to Israel that I was on. And it was only three months after my knee surgery. It was really too soon. There were some places I couldn't go, but there was another young pastor I'd been with in New Jersey, and then Pastor Ernsberger and, and, and Lynn were there. And those guys, they just kind of mothered me. I remember when we were going to the uh, Tel Dan uh, where the... Uh, Jeroboam had the one, he said, said a golden calf in Bethel and another one in Dan. And it was a rough walk to Dan. Had to walk on rocks in a stream to get through there. And those guys, they, I was slow. They hung back with me. They gave me a shoulder to lean on and they kind of mothered me. And I and, uh, enjoyed the fellowship with them very, very much. And I uh, know you've got a, got a fine pastor. You've had three fine pastors now. Well, you've got the third one on his way, right? Someday he's going to get here. Maybe the rapture will come first and we won't need a new pastor. Anyway, uh, I look forward to seeing him in the future. All right, take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn to Romans chapter 5. And uh, let me just share a couple of prayer requests with you. Uh, this is my last series of meetings on this trip. On Thursday, I start the long journey back home. I won't get home actually until June 14th. Uh, a week from today, Lord willing, I'll be preaching in Laurel, Montana, down near Billings. And then the following Wednesday, I'll be in Marshalltown, Iowa. That's a nice hike. And then the following Sunday, I'll be in Holland, Michigan. And the following Wednesday, I'll be in northeastern Pennsylvania, a little town of Meshoppin. That's a, that's, that's a, a town that ladies like Meshoppin, you know. It's an Indian name. The guy's, you hunt, me shop, you know. <laughs> And uh, he's, he's one, of my <clears throat> one of my fishing buddies, so I'll be there for a few days doing some fishing, hoping to fill my freezer, because I only have one meal of fish left in my freezer, and that's not good. So anyway, um, and then from there, head down to uh, Hazleton, Pennsylvania for a Sunday, and then head back to Westchester, Pennsylvania, my home area. I have uh, several visits there I want to make and with some friends. And then finally, getting back to South Carolina, Lord willing, on June the 14th. And then the last week of July, we're still working, trying to work on some of the details. Uh, Lord willing, on July 24th, we'll be doing a new recording. Uh, I, am, I am pressing into duty some professional musicians to help me with this recording. It's not going to be just me. Because I have, over the years, I have written 15 compositions for violin, classical compositions, not, not, nothing you would play in church, maybe at a banquet or something like that. Just kind of fun stuff. And I finally, uh, back in February, completed a violin sonata I've been working on for almost 40 years. 
you know, I'd get, I'd get composer's block. The writer's block, you get a little bit, and then you get this, then, okay, now where do I go? And finally, it all began to fall together. <clears throat> so that's done. So I, I can play all the music, but I have some friends who are professionals who can play it cleaner and crisper and have a more professional sound than what I'm able to give. So uh, we're trying to work out some of the details to do that. Hopefully I'll have it available for, the, uh, for my fall meetings. Uh, the sonata is called the Robin, and we have on uh, the picture of the CD. We've already got the cover design on. It's got to have a nice green background with a beautiful Robin redbreast on a branch there. It's not named after the bird. It's named after my good violinist friend Robin Heller, who's a commercial artist, and and uh, he was a syndicated cartoonist uh, with with uh, 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 somebody in Honeysuckle. I forget the name, but it was a it was a cartoon strip that had to do with the Eskimos, and it was up in Alaska, northern Canada, and, and Scandinavia, and places like that. Anyway, muckluck and honeysuckle, that's what it was. And uh, I used to send all my violin hymn arrangements to him to proof play. You know, they talk about you can't proofread your own writing. Well, you can't proof play your own music either, because you know what you wanted to do, and maybe what you wanted to do is not what's on the page. So I would send him all this stuff, and he was my proof player, so... I decided to dedicate this violin sonata to him, so that's where it gets the name Robin from. But I didn't want to put his picture on the cover. We decided a bird would be a lot prettier picture. <laughs> he didn't hear me say that. So anyway, those are a couple of things that are on the, on the menu for us. Our girls are doing fine. Uh, they just recently, yesterday, were involved in the Republican convention and state convention in South Carolina. Both of them are very active in that. Uh, Joanna's getting sort of a complex because she's not married, you know, and her sister's married. And even when her sister was heavy with child, people come to her. My, my single daughter said, Mrs. Headley? And she said, no, I'm Joanna. Oh, you're the other one. I said, you need to get a name tag that just says the other one <laughs> and, and wear that. So anyway, they're, they're very much involved. Uh, my grandson is 15 now. I got him, got him involved in fishing. He's now got the fishing bug and Last time we were on a fishing trip, he outfished me. He caught fish more times than I did. He caught more fish than I did, and he was really rubbing it in. And I said, hey, buddy, just remember, pal, you had a good teacher. You had a good teacher. By the way, Dave, I've got a picture of that, that trout in, the, in my new book. I did a book a few years ago called Stories from Grandpa. I got a picture of that trout from 19, what, 1986, 87, something like that. That trout still looks good, and it's been dead for how many years? All right, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 5. I, I'm going to do something this week I have maybe done one other time, um, but I just feel constrained to do it. The Lord seems to be laying it on my heart, so I'm going to, going to do it. And uh, all of our messages from this point on through Wednesday are going to be found in Romans chapter 5. There is a lot in this chapter. And several years ago, I was invited to come to Kenya, Africa, to Nairobi to teach a module course on the book of Romans. Uh, I, had, I was in contact with a missionary from our church, and I got a contact from another pastor and wanted me to do a music seminar in Africa because they were having trouble with uh, losing their young people to the churches using contemporary music. And so I contacted this pastor and said, well, what do you know about this? Oh, he's a good man. I said, but if you're going to be with him, you've got to be with us too. Well, what do you want me to do? I said, I can teach you. No, no, we've got our music stuff all set. I said, I need somebody. To, it's, our, it's this time of the, of the schedule. We need somebody to teach a course on the book of Romans. <laughs> uh, now, I'm not a pastor, you know. That, now, that doesn't mean I don't know my Bible, all right? 
But I don't get to preach through books. I don't get to do book studies like pastors do. So I got my notes out and I, my college notes, and I began to expand them. And now it's in a, uh, I've now got them in book form, a little over 200 pages, and, and had a wonderful time teaching on the book of Romans. And I would come home after teaching that class, 30 hours in one week on the book of Romans. And the two students who got A's were the two ladies who were auditing the course, and the two guys who failed it were pastors. <laughs> Um, but, uh, well, you know, those guys are busy in the ministry and they don't have the time to study as much as, uh, as, as the ladies do because the ladies have nothing else to do with their time, you know, <laughs> right? Just sit around all day, watch soap operas and throw some hamburgers on the grill, some hot dogs and am I in trouble yet? <laughs> I'm getting there. Huh? I better get back to the farm then. Anyway, I would come home and my wife started saying, Honey, there is more than one book of the Bible you can preach from. Because I was so into the book of Romans, I was doing a lot of my preaching from the book of Romans. She said, Honey, there are 65 other books you can choose from. And so I finally got the message. So it's been a long time since I've been in the book of Romans. And she's not here. She's in heaven, so she can't tell me what to do. So I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit's leading me to do, all right? Uh, by the way, I do miss Barb, you know. What's, what's Ken and Barbie? What's Ken without Barbie? Well, I've been finding out. And uh, God's been very good to me. I have to say that. Okay, Romans chapter 5. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I want to read verse 1 again. And I'm reading from the traditional 1769 authorized King James Version. But I want to rearrange it just a little bit. I think it, it won't change the meaning. It may help to clarify a little bit. Therefore, being justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. The peace with God comes through the ministry and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are three thoughts I want to leave with you from these verses. First of all, in verse 1, the fact that we have acceptance with God. And the emphasis there is on the word peace. Therefore, being justified. Now, the word being there, it, it does not suggest that it's an ongoing process, but it's really, it's having been justified in a literal sense. Now, the term justify, you, you may recall or may understand, is actually a judicial declaration whereby one is set free, not from the guilt, but one is set free from the penalty uh, of sin's guilt. We are guilty as charged. The Bible could not be more clear in, just across the page in Romans 3, 19. And all the world may become guilty before God. But in this judicial declaration, we are declared free from the penalty of sin. How so? By faith in Jesus Christ, both in, in his person as well as in his work. Therefore, being justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, it is his sacrifice that paid the penalty for our sin. Now, y'all, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but sometimes it's good to just kind of review some of the simpler basic things of the Christian faith. Uh, without the law, uh, in Romans 3.28, the, the Bible says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now we all know that there are, there are 
tons and tons of people who are trying to justify themselves by the deeds of the law, by, by partaking of the sacraments or by being a good person or by doing all these good deeds. And somehow they think that that's going to make them acceptable in the eyes of God. Well, the Bible tells us that all of our righteousnesses, all of the good things we do, they may be good and honorable and righteous on the horizontal plane in the eyes of other people. But folks, in the eyes of God, they are nothing more than worthless, filthy rags fit for the fires of divine judgment. So we are guilty, but we are justified in, in this judicial declaration, declaration whereby God declares us free from the penalty of sin. Yes, I am guilty. But how, if I'm guilty, then how is, it that I don't, how is it that I can be set free from the penalty that, that should be justly mine? Because another person bore that. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Years ago, when I was an assistant pastor, we had a problem creep into our church. A pastor from Houston, Texas, uh, Dr. R.B. Thiem, uh, a man who I believe was a, was a heretic, a, a false teacher, and a man who probably has single-handedly split more churches in America than anybody else through his tape ministry and his divisive, his divisive language and, and his div- divisive interpretations of Scripture. And uh, he's, I, heard, I heard, actually heard him say on, a, on a, one of his sermon tapes <clears throat> that no one can die for anyone else. Folks, that's heresy. That undermines and that destroys the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Could the Bible be more clear? He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. What is that but a substitutionary one sacrificing himself for another? Uh, over in, in chapter 5, in just a few verses later, uh, For scarcely for a righteous man, verse 7, will one die. Uh, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Folks, many have laid their lives, many have given their lives, have sacrificed their lives for their fellow man. We hear about it all the time uh, in, when it comes to warfare. How many men have thrown themselves over the grenade uh, and sacrificed their lives in order to save the rest of the guys in their platoon? And they posthumously often receive the Medal of Honor. And so we are guilty as charged, but the Lord Jesus Christ substitutionary, substitutionarily, I'll get that one out, bore our sins, paid the penalty that we could not pay. He is, in fact, our substitute. But we are also justified by his blood. Uh, in verse 24 of chapter 3, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. Uh, we are justified by his blood as well. Now, again, this same preacher in, in a message on, on, uh, on 1 John 1, 7 said that Jesus Christ, number one, <clears throat> he said Jesus Christ did not bleed to death. Folks, I don't know of any fundamental Bible teacher who would, who would say that Jesus bled to death. His blood was shed, but his blood being shed was not the source of his death. He gave up the ghost. He willingly died. Death did not take him. He submitted to death willingly, freely of his own will. And that's why he was able to take his life again and and be resurrected from the grave three days later. So uh, he says that no one can die for anyone else. And that the blood, he said the blood of Jesus, uh, not only only did, 
the blood not, not saved, the blood of Jesus just simply coagulated so quickly because of all the vitamin K, and it just kind of, where's the chapter and verse for that? Listen, my friend, without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, is no remission or forgiveness or cleansing of sin. The Roman Catholic Church, Church teaches that in the Mass, and I'm not saying this unkindly, this is a matter of doctrinal fact, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that in the Mass, it is the unbloody sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, according to the Bible, and you can verify this, by the way, in the Catholic Douay version of the Bible, and I think also the New Confraternity, without the shedding of blood is no remission, an unbloody sacrifice is a worthless sacrifice. And so we are justified, we were declared free from the penalty of sin in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his person, but also by his work on, on the cross. Uh, in, verse, in verse 9 of the previous chapter, uh, we are saved by uh, his, his blood. The result of this declaration, and by the way, uh, this declaration is not something you can do for yourself. Uh, this is a, an official judicial declaration at the judgment bar of God. You know, an accused criminal has no, no authority, no power, no right to say, well, I declare myself free from the penalty. No, that's up to the judge to decide. And the judge in this case is God himself. And the basis on which he is able to set us free from the penalty is because the penalty has already... <coughs> already been paid by another, and that is, of course, his son, the Lord Jesus. So as a result of this judicial declaration, we have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ, both in his person and in his work, the result of that is we have peace with God. What a wonderful phrase that is. I mean, we hear people say, have you made your peace with God? Hey, can, can, I, can I suggest to you folks, you and I don't make peace with God. It is God who makes peace with us through the cross and through the sacrifice of the, uh, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I like that verse in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I think it's verse 6 where Paul, uh, let me get it here for just a second. Uh, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. In and of ourselves, and, and most of you know this, <clears throat> we have no basis to stand before God. Other than to stand before me, other than to stand before me as convicted, condemned sinners. But he declares us just when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And then we are justified. We are set free from the penalty of sin because Jesus paid the price. And, you know, it's, it's the idea of an American jurisprudence of double jeopardy. You know, you know what that is, right? And so we are free. And as a result, we have peace with God. In Isaiah 48 and verse 22, the Bible talks about the fact that there is no peace to the wicked. The wicked man does not understand peace. Jesus in John 14 said to his disciples, peace I give unto you. And then it's like he paused and went back and clarified it. He said, my peace give I unto you. And then it's like he paused again to go back and clarify even more, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Folks, the world 
is incapable of understanding the peace of God. You see, you cannot experience the peace of God until you first of all experience peace with God. And that, of course, comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's talking here in verse 2. We have peace with God. Having peace with God, we can then experience the peace of God to sustain us and keep us through the difficult circumstances of life that come to us. But the world, the world is incapable of comprehending that. Uh, sometimes, uh, and, I've, and I've heard this at funerals where a parent has lost a child, and I remember one in particular when I was an assistant pastor, and there were unsaved people who thought the family was just so calloused and, 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 and cold-hearted because they were actually smiling and rejoicing. How can, you, how can you be happy at the death of a child? Because that child's with the Lord. What could be better than that? And, and the peace that God gives is, is such a wonderful... And the world stands back and says, you people are nuts. No, we're happy in the Lord. We have, that, we have that peace that you only long for, you only wish you had, but you don't have and can't have until you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, our, our world is in trouble today. Uh, we all know that's been now a year and a half that we've been going through this pandemic. And again, if you want to know my interpretation of a pandemic, you ask me after the service, I'll not tell you publicly. It's nothing bad, but it's, uh, it might, you know, just you ask me if you want to know what a pandemic really is, all right? Uh, we, we've gone, our, our world's in trouble. And now with what's going on in Israel, and bless his pea-picking heart, I won't mention any names, but we got a guy in Washington, D.C. that's trying to say, well, you guys, you Israelis need to stop throwing these bombs. Excuse me? Do they not have the opportunity and the right to defend themselves? Uh, we defended ourselves from the tyranny of Great Britain back in, in 1774 and again in 1812. Does Israel not have the right to defend itself? And I don't know if you've read Benjamin Netanyahu's speech, but it is a classic Winston Churchill type of speech. It's a very brief one, but you ought to get online and read it. And my hat's off to him. I stand with the Jews. I stand with Israel. I stand with Mr. Netanyahu. By the way, he graduated from a Philadelphia high school, so he knows about cheesesteaks. He's a good man. He's, he's, I don't believe he's a born-again Christian, but uh, in a moral sense and in a political sense, he's a, he, he's a good man for his country. And, and um, he basically told our president, you need to bug off. That, that's my words. But basically, you leave us alone. We'll, we'll deal with this. We don't need you interfering with this affair. Uh, no peace in the world today, folks. Men cry for peace, and now we got a guy, the Secretary of State, who thinks he's going to go over there and broker a peace treaty. I got news for him. He's wasting our taxpayer dollars to even make the trip. Listen, folks, peace with God and then the peace of God. And this world is never going to have international peace until the Lord Jesus Christ comes and establishes the millennial kingdom at the end of the tribulation. But before that time of peace begins, there's going to be a time of hell breaking loose, the likes of which this world has never yet seen and will never see again after that. But the peace of God is coming. And if you don't have that peace, while we may not have international peace, I'm here to tell you, you can have individual peace with God through the Lord Jesus. Notice also, if you will please, in, in this first part of verse 2, not only, do we, not only do we have acceptance with God, the emphasis there on the word peace, 
But we also have access to God, and, and uh, I would emphasize that the word is not here, but the word would be prayer. By whom also, that is through the Lord Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Talking about prayer here. Uh, we have access through the Lord Jesus Christ because of Calvary. We have access, and by the way, folks, it is a constant access, 24-7. I remember back in 1964, uh, December of that year, uh, I, was, I was a student at Bob Jones University at the time, and and I was, I was not old enough to be able to drive a rented car, but the, one of the drivers was, and we had rented a, a 1960, brand new 1964 Galaxy 500 Ford Ursa, and that was a nice car. But then it's a Ford, what can you say? And, uh, and we, we got into Washington, D.C. Now, this is the days before the interstates were complete. They were just working on the interstate road system, the Eisenhower interstate road system at that time. And so uh, around Washington, D.C., the Beltway, it was just, a, it was a, a traffic nightmare. And we got into Washington, into Washington D.C., and, and I, I was excited because I'd never been there before. Got to see the White House, got to see the Capitol and the Washington Monument. But you know what, folks, after the third or fourth time driving past those, I thought, we're in trouble. We're lost. I wonder if that's not why the politicians stay there. Once they get there, they can't find their way home, and they just stick it out, you know. Anyway, um, so the driver's kind of confused, and, and it's about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning now, and, and we're getting kind of frustrated. And he, he made a turn up this little narrow street with big iron fences on either side and kind of the ivy, you know. And we didn't go very far before these blinding floodlights came on, and Marines with machine guns aimed at the windshield of the car stood in front of us, blocking our weapon. No, we've had a coup d'etat. The military's taken over. Actually, we wound up in the driveway of the White House. We didn't know it. And by the way, Marines are not really nice people. Uh, they they kind of run the Navy. At least they run the Navy boot camps, but... They like to brag about the fact we're we're a department. And they, yeah, we're the men's department. But let me tell you, we pay them. Every Marine gets a Navy paycheck. Amen. Anyway, um, and they were not interested in giving us directions. They just out, you know, like like a guard dog showing you all of his teeth and walking you out the driveway as you back out. Nice doggy, nice doggy, nice Marine, nice Marine. Thank you for your service. You know. <laughs> And we finally got it. But, you know, LBJ was the president. I thought, wait a minute. This is the people's house. I'm a people. This is my house. He's just living in my property. I'm just here to investigate and to check out to see if he's taking care of the place. You know, we found out in a hurry that we did not have access to the president of the United States. And later on, when I was contemplating on this passage of Scripture, the thought occurred to me, I may not have access to the President of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, but I do have 24-7 access to someone far greater, and that's the God of heaven. 24-7. He never slumbers nor sleeps. On one of my many trips to India, I was in the town of Edor, and there was a hotel right across the street from some Hindu temple, and I was there during the time of the year when that particular God, quote unquote, 
takes his siesta. And so they have all this, they, I mean, they have speakers all over town the size of this pulpit here, blaring this loud, obnoxious, it's not music, just noise. And the whole purpose is to try to keep the God awake in case you have to pray to him and you have a need. Now, we almost chuckle at that, but isn't that sad? To have to keep your God, what kind of a God is he? My Bible says, my God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is available in the middle of the night. In fact, sometimes you can have better fellowship in the middle of the night than you can during the day because there are fewer distractions. Amen. 24-7, constant access. And according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we have courageous access. We're to come boldly before the throne of grace. By the way, there's a difference in boldness and arrogance. We do not have the privilege to come arrogantly into his presence, but we have the privilege to come boldly before the throne of grace in order that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then notice the last part of verse 2. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Um, Interesting here, the word word that's translated glory is the same word translated rejoice in verse verse 2. Here we have the assurance of one day being with God. And so I've kind of subtitled that, if you want to see peace here. The first part is we have peace, we have prayer, and then, we, then one day, by God's grace, we will have the joy of being in the very presence of God. And I cannot begin to imagine what that is. I, can, I, I try at times to wonder, wonder what Barb's doing today. Well, there's no today where she is. There's no yesterday. There's no tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure she's not on a cloud playing a harp because she wasn't very musical. <laughs> I don't know what she's doing, but she's, she's serving the Lord in some capacity. And uh, to be with the Lord is going to be a wonderful thing. And Paul talks about rejoicing in the hope. Now, the word hope here, in the English language, the word hope has the idea of, I hope this happens, but I'm not sure it's going to. I hope I win the clearinghouse sweepstakes after all the times I've entered it. Right? Do you get that stuff on your, on your, on your email all the time? I delete most of it, you know. I buy very little off them because most of it's junk made in China. And I'm trying to boycott China as much as I can. In fact, I was at Walmart one time. I went to buy a dustbuster, a black and decker dustbuster for the motorhome. And I bought some one of those hoses, you know, that supposedly folds itself back up. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And I got them up to the counter. I found they're all made in China. So I put them on the, on the, on the checker. And I said, ma'am, I said, I don't want these. I said, you can uh, tell somebody to restock them. I said, I'm going to tell you why I don't want them. They're made in China. China's our enemy. I don't want anything made in China. If I, nah, I start checking my neckties. That was a big mistake. Most of my neckties are made in China. So I, when I go to buy ties now, I make sure I buy made in Indonesia or made in India or Pakistan. I don't want anything made in China if I can avoid it. They are not our friends. They are our avowed enemies. Anyway, the fact is here that we rejoice in hope. The word hope here means a, <clears throat> literally a confident expectation. In other words, it is that that you can expect to happen with such confidence as though it has already happened. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. Uh, John talks about my hope, which is in the Lord. Uh, That word hope there again is the confident expectation that Jesus is coming again. The blessed hope, the blessed confident expectation of the child of God is that Jesus is coming again. Are you ready for that? Now, the negative side of this is those who have no hope. Um, 
uh, in, in, for example, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul talks about those who have no hope in this world. They're of, they're of all men most miserable. Um, let's see, Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's verse 12, that in the times past you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the negative. Years ago, I saw a headline from the Baltimore Sun, and it showed a picture of a young man who had just leaped to the top of a 17-story building and committed suicide. And they were trying to talk him down, but he, he said, life isn't worth it. Life isn't worth it. There's no hope. And he committed suicide, and without realizing it began the worst part of his life, and that's the eternal part without hope and without God in this world and the next world. On the other hand, the positive side is in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we have the blessed hope of the believer, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, and to esteem them very highly in love for their works. That, no, I'm sorry, 4.13. And I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. The unsaved person has no hope. They stand beside the coffin of a loved one. They have no hope. I preached my father's funeral. I preached my mother's funeral. I preached my cousin's funeral. I preached my mother-in-law's funeral. It seems like if you're related to me sooner or later, I'm going to preach your funeral. So you don't want to get too close to me. Um, but you know, folks, pre preaching those funerals is one thing. Um, but there are people who have no... At my mother's funeral, there was a lot of laughter. At a funeral... You could not reflect upon my mother's life and not smile. I tell people, if you knew my mother, you'd know why I'm like I am. Uh, we, we, just, we just were two peas in a pod. And in fact, one day I was in to visit her. She was in a, in a nursing home a few months before she passed away. And, and she was sitting in a wheelchair, and I went to hug her. I bent over to hug her goodbye, and I slipped on the linoleum. I started to fall. And I put my arms out and grabbed the arms of the wheelchair. And this little 95, almost 96-year-old lady weighs about 100 pounds or less. She puts her arms up and she said, oh, don't do that. Don't fall on me. She said, I'll just be a spot on the floor. I said, Mom, you used to carry me around inside your tummy without missing a beat. She said, boy, it must have been some tummy. <laughs> that was my mom. That was my mom. She's with the Lord now rejoicing in his presence as is my, my dear wife. So we have acceptance with God. That's where it all begins, through the sacrifice and the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Have you been to Calvary? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And as a result of that, we have access to him. Take advantage of that time and spending time in prayer. And then we have the wonderful assurance of one day we will be with the Lord. And again, we cannot even imagine what that's going to be like. I, sometimes I don't even bother trying. Do you? <laughs> Just what, when it happens, it happens, and then I'll know. I, I think maybe the Lord doesn't tell us too much about heaven and, and being in his presence because we'd all commit suicide to get there. Why, I mean, why stay here if we can go there? I heard about this fellow whose wife always fed him all these health foods and stuff, and they died and went to heaven. And he said, man, honey, if you hadn't fed me all that health food stuff, man, we could have been here years ago, you know. Well, anyway, it's coming. It's coming in God's own time. The question is, are you ready for it? I trust that you are. Let's bow together, please, as we pray. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful passage here in Romans chapter 5, and I pray your blessing 
upon our studies as we go through this chapter this week. There's so much here for our contemplation. Lord, we thank you that there is hope in Christ. There is salvation in him who bore our sins as our substitute, contrary to the teachings of many false prophets. Lord, we rejoice in that hope and we give you thanks for our salvation. If there's anyone here today who's never truly been born again, oh, Father, would you not peel from their eyes the scales of spiritual blindness and help them to see and understand their desperate need of Christ. And may they turn to you before it's too late. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, just before we have a closing word of prayer, I wonder if there's anyone here say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart, and if I'm honest with you and the Lord and myself, I'm not really sure I'm saved. If I died today of a heart attack or a car wreck, and it could happen, I really don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. I, God knows my heart. I need to be saved. I want to ask you to pray for me. If that's your desire, would you let me know by just quietly lifting up your hand just between you, me, and the Lord? Anyone? Father, bless now your word to our hearts and may it bear the fruit for which you've intended it and for which we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.